Thank you, ushers. Well, listen, today I'm going to be talking to those people who call Victory Christian Center home. I'm talking to the Christians in our audience and those viewing online as well, because one of the things we have to do as followers of Christ is to be quick to share our faith with those who are not yet followers of Christ. The reason this is important is because as a Christian, if you're not sharing your faith, you're not growing in your faith. And so unfortunately, we have a lot of followers of Jesus that aren't growing in their faith simply because you're not sharing your faith. And so we want to turn that around. And, and so we, we, we want to share some thoughts here today. Now, if you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, you've picked a great Sunday to come to. You really have because you're going to get some behind the scenes a behind-the-scenes look as to what Christianity is all about and why we are so passionate about sharing our faith with others. And so today we're going to talk about the why of sharing our faith, and then next week we're going to talk about the how of sharing our faith. You with me? And so we're going to turn to two places in the Bible today. We're going to turn to John chapter 4 and then and Second then, and Peter chapter 1. John 4, we're going to begin there, and then we're going to go to 2 Peter chapter 1 in just a moment. And so if you have a paper Bible, then put your ribbon or a bookmark or even your invest card in 2 Peter chapter 1, um, but turn to John chapter 4 as we begin there. Some of you are using an iPad, an iPhone, an eyelid, whatever you're using, but click on John chapter 4. We're going to begin there. John chapter 4 is a is a great story. Um, if you're a follower of Jesus, like me, one of the things that you enjoy doing is, is reading the Bible. And I've been doing it for, really for over, geez, 25 uh, plus years now. And, and the Bible never gets old. And I love how the Bible uh, just, just speaks to where you're at in life. And, and there, there's so many messages in the Bible that God wants to get to us. And often, did you know that the messages of the Bible are not just given through the very clear points of Scripture that often Jesus speaks to us through the details of the Bible. That some of the greatest messages that you and I can ever receive from the Bible are found in the details that we often miss. And so I want to look at one of those details in John's chapter 4 that we often overread. Um, but I want us to look at it because I think it speaks to us today in terms of us being able to share our faith with others. And John chapter 4 is a familiar story to many of us, which, which is about the woman at the well. Um, we, we find in that story that Jesus makes a pit stop in a place called Samaria, specifically to a well where he knows that there's a woman that has a daily appointment at that well. Now, the Bible says that the disciples weren't there. They were hanging out with Jesus. They were traveling with Jesus. But for whatever reason, we don't know why the disciples were, were gone at this time. They went somewhere. And we find Jesus alone with this woman, and a conversation ensues. Jesus begins the conversation and talking about her personal life. He gets in her business. And he asks her questions about her husband. Where's your husband? Oh, I'm not married, she says. Jesus responds, yeah, you've, that, that, that's, that's accurate. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the guy that you're living with now, shacking up with, he's not your husband. The woman's response is quite comical. I perceive a vow to be a prophet. 
Jesus just read her mail and she couldn't hide it. And the conversation is absolutely amazing because Jesus makes a statement to her uh, that was so powerful. He says, you're coming to this well for water, but if you would drink from me, I'll give you water that you'll never thirst again. And we pick up this story in verse 27 of John chapter 4, because as Jesus is finishing up and wrapping up this conversation with this woman, absolutely wrecks her world at that well. The Bible says that his disciples are returning, and as they're coming, they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. A couple of barriers that Jesus broke this day. One of them was a gender barrier. Women in society at that time were viewed as very low in society. There was a huge gap, a huge barrier between male and female. And Jesus broke that barrier and basically said um, through his actions that God created them male and female, that, that, that they're, they're both one and the same, that, there's, that there's, God is no respecter of persons. Amen? But another barrier that he broke was a racial barrier. Because Jews and Samaritans had no dealings with one another. So as the disciples are coming from whatever it was that they were doing, and they're, they're approaching Jesus at the well where they left him, they see the Samaritan woman and they're having issues. I can see my mind's eye them having the conversation. What is Jesus doing? We can't leave him alone for one second. Doesn't he know we're in Samaria? He's talking to a woman. She's a Samaritan woman. The Bible says they, were, they returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. And John says that no one asked. Now, he, this is very important. Because John is going to introduce us to something that didn't happen. He's going to make two statements. And he's going to say, this day... This didn't happen. And one of the reasons he's telling us this is because he's writing this years later and he's going back to this story and he's recalling the events and he's almost writing it with some, with some regret. I wish we would have asked these questions, but we didn't. No one asked Jesus, hey Jesus, what do you want? What do you want? Can I tell you that as a follower of Jesus Christ, that's a question we should be asking frequently. When Deidre and I came back to this church, we've got some amazing people that serve so well. We're often asked, hey, pastor, what do you want? What do you need? And, you know, that, that's great and all, but can I tell you that Jesus is the kind of Lord, he's the kind of Savior, he's the kind of person that we should be asking daily, Jesus, what do you want? John is writing this almost with regret, saying, if we, if we would have really have known, if we, would have, if we would have really have understood that day what was happening at that moment, we would have asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, what do you want? And secondly, we would have asked, why are you talking with this woman? Why are you talking with her? But we didn't ask. So, and there's a reason there's a reason why they didn't ask these questions, and, it, and it's what we want to unpack here this morning. Let's continue reading in verse 28. The Bible says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people. So she goes back to the town. The town isn't like a town way over there. 
It's just a few moments walk. It's like where they're at. She just goes around the corner to the town, the village, where she's from. And, and this all happens in a matter of minutes. She goes to her village, to her town, and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Messiah that we've been waiting for? The Bible says they all come out of the town and made their way toward him. Can you see it in your mind's eye? The woman leading the parade of all the townsfolk that are following her to go to the well where she had an encounter and an experience with Jesus. Meanwhile, while this is happening, right, Jesus and his disciples at the well, meanwhile, the town is being led by this woman and they're coming towards Jesus and the disciples. And meanwhile, while this town is coming, his disciples... And in my mind's eye, here's how I see it. They look up and they see a crowd forming. And they see a crowd coming. And they've already been doing ministry for quite some time today. And they see this crowd coming to Jesus. And they look at Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, let's get lunch. <laughs> the Bible says the disciples urged them, hey, Jesus. Let, let's go to Chick-fil-A. While they're still open, let's get out of here. Let's eat some lunch. That's where their minds were. Their minds were on lunch. Jesus responds to them using their language, says to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. The disciples completely miss the metaphor. They look at one another, and they're kind of upset. And their question is, who brought them Chick-fil-A already? Who fed them? We, I, we knew we shouldn't have gone and do whatever we were doing, but he already ate. Someone has already brought him food. Jesus gives him a second shot. No, guys, listen. Listen, I know that you're hearing me with these ears, but I want you to hear me with these ears. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Here's what Jesus is saying. I'm not really concerned about lunch right now. But I'm really fired up about this town that's getting ready to come and encounter me. You guys are worried about lunch. I'm concerned and fired up about this woman and this town that she's bringing to me. That's what he's telling the disciples. And so the Bible continues to say... Do you not say, isn't it, isn't it right that four months more and then the harvest, right? Four months more and then the harvest. You keep, in other words, he's saying, you keep saying, you keep saying, we'll do, we'll do the town another day. We'll, we'll impact the community another day. Isn't it a common saying among you that we'll do the town another day? You'll, you'll do the community. You'll, you'll focus on the others another day. But I tell you, and I want you to say these next three words with me, all together as one. Those of you watching online, say it out loud right from your living room, wherever you're watching from. Say these next words. Jesus said, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields that are ripe for the harvest. I'm convinced that if Jesus was standing on this platform, speaking to believers today, he would say... Open your eyes. 
open your eyes. I'm convinced he would say, I wish you could see Youngstown the way I see it. I wish you could see the Mahoning County the way I see it. I wish you could see Trumbull County and Warren the way I see it. I wish you can see Sharon and Farrell and Western Pennsylvania the way I see it. I wish you can see your family, your coworker, your neighbor the way that I see them. I wish you could see it the way I see them. Why? Because you can never reach what you cannot see. And you can never love what you cannot see. And so Jesus, I believe if he was on this platform, he would look at followers of him and say, if there's anything I want to communicate to you during this season, in this time of the year, is for you to open your eyes and see how I see, and see what I see, and see what I love and what I've given my life for. Open your eyes. And a lot of us operate under a condition that, that I personally struggle with. I personally have. I turned 40 years old a couple of years ago. And one of the gifts that I received was a visit to the eye doctor. My bishop taught me that one of the best preachers to be is an eyeball preacher. And so I tried for many years to be an eyeball preacher, but I just couldn't get it. And that's because when I would look out at the faces in the crowd, I wouldn't see eyeballs. I would see blurry faces. And so I decided on my 40th birthday to give me the gift of seeing the eye doctor. Now, everything up close, I could see just fine. I could see the dust on my iPad. I could, I, you know, I could, I could see the eyelashes on an app. Up close, I'm good. But it was you. I couldn't see you. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't see far. And so I, I go, and so I knew I kind of had this issue. So I go to the doctor, the eye doctor, to see what's going on. And I sit in a chair. And those of you that are eyeglasses people, you, you know what I'm talking about. I sit in the chair, and it's amazing because one of the first things they do to start helping you is they make you blind. And then they put this contraption in your face that blows air. And you're like, I'm like, what's that? Oh, it's a glaucoma check. Well, I'll warn a brother next time. Don't just, I can't see. I'm getting stuff blown in my eyes. The doctor goes away, comes back with a report and says, here's your problem. I said, what's my problem? He says, you're nearsighted. And I said, uh-uh. I'm good with near. It's the far that I'm having trouble with. He says, I know, you're nearsighted. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Why, why is it? It's, the, it's like the only medical profession that names your condition at what you're good at. It's like you go to the doctor with a broken arm, and he says, I know what your problem is. You have two good legs. And so I'm nearsighted, okay? And so I, I, get, I get these, these things on my 40th birthday. First time I started wearing them, uh, people in the church said, thought they were just fashion glasses. I'm like, come on now. They're not fashion. I need these because I want to see you better. As I'm driving home that day with new glasses on, the Holy Spirit begins to speak to me. And I don't know about you, but I need the cookies on the bottom shelf. 
And he said, Juan, have you ever considered that maybe you're spiritually nearsighted? And so it was one of those moments where I thought I could either engage him right now and just get totally devastated or I could ignore it. So I engaged him. What do you mean, Jesus? Well, is it possible that you can see the near spiritually? Your family, your stuff, you. But is it possible that you have a hard time seeing far? The world around you. Others. People in your sphere of influence. Not only world missions and the foreign field, but the people in your community. And you can... And you can, always, you can always tell if you're spiritual nearsighted. You can always tell by what you pray for and what you spend for. If, if you want to take a test on whether or not you're, you, you're spiritually nearsighted, what do you pray for? What do you spend for? And that day God began to do a work in my own life where I began realizing, Lord, not only do I need to have new lenses by which I view the world physically, but would you give me new lenses by which I can view the world spiritually? Because what I pray for and what I spend for does not really say that I am, that I have 20-20 vision, that I see what you see. You see clearly in the near your stuff, but you can't see beyond yourself. And God wants us to see far. God wants us to seek beyond. God wants us to see others. He wants us to seek his kingdom first. And all of this near stuff will be added unto you. All of the stuff, all of the Rivera needs, the Rivera desires, the stuff that affects us. When I have, when I can see far, when I allow him to change my perspective, when I open up my eyes and I can see the other and I can see the need of the community and I begin to engage it through prayer and through my gifts and through my talent and through my giving of time and money, God says, when you seek my kingdom, I'll take care of the near. He wants us to seek his kingdom first. And by the way, again, this is a spiritual condition. And I want to show you this in 2 Peter chapter 1. I asked you to put a bookmark there and Let's turn there quickly. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. God has given us two things as followers. Two things he's given us. And I want you to see this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. The first thing he's given us is his divine power. God has given us his divine power. Everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. So there's two things I said. He's given us his power and he's given us his promises. As a follower of Jesus, God has given us his power and promises. And he says, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Wrap your head around that one. And escape through the corruption, escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So power and promises. So since what God is saying, since you have power and promises, I want you to grow. You have power, you have promises, so grow. Why? Because I've given you good things to be able to grow. Verse 5, for this reason, for this very reason, because I've given you power and promises, 
I want you to grow. I want you to make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. What's he saying? He said, because I've given you power and promises, I want you to grow. You need to be people that grow. Because if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, if you're growing, they will keep you They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is saying through the scripture that I've given you power and promises for you to grow and and it will keep you from these things. But what he's saying is I want you to be effective and I want you to be productive. And the way that you and I can be effective and productive as followers of Jesus is to grow in our faith. Which, by the way, he's giving you power and promises to enable you to grow in your faith. Why does he want us to grow in our faith? Because he wants us to be effective and he wants us to be productive. Verse 9 says, but if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind. And has forgotten that he has been cleansed. From his past sins. That's why I said I am convinced that if the Lord had an opportunity to look at his church, he would say, There's never been a better time to reach the world around you. Open up your eyes. Why? Because there's never been a better moment, a better season, a better time than now, a better opportunity than now to reach people for Christ. It's why I'm stirred up about our two Easter services. It's why we're challenging you to, to, uh, to take these in, invite cards that Pastor Jerry mentioned, to grab 10 on the way out, to use them as, as a tool, a simple tool to say, hey, come to church with me on Easter Sunday. And we're talking about unchurched family members, friends, and, and coworkers, and neighbors. We don't, we don't want to grow because you're inviting someone that's going to a church down the road. We want people that are far from God, far from Jesus, who don't know, who don't have a relationship with God. That's who we're wanting to reach. And so we're putting tools in your hands. Why? Because there's never been a better moment. The Easter season affords us an incredible opportunity as followers of Jesus to invite people to an Easter service. You know why? Because the people that will say yes for Easter usually say no for every other service. I don't know what it is about this season, but during this season, the Holy Spirit is is just running throughout our community and running through your family and through your neighborhoods, convicting and convincing people of their need of a Savior. And God doesn't save people arbitrarily or in a vacuum. God uses people to save people. And church, you are plan A for God. There is no plan B. It's not just the preacher getting them in. It's not just good music getting them in. And it's not God doing some magic in the heavens just saving people. It's you and I getting engaged and sharing our faith because our eyes have been opened and we're not nearsighted anymore. Somebody thank God for the opportunity to partner with him. There is in all of us this gravitational pull towards self instead of others. I deal with it. It's this gravitational pull to be nearsighted, to just see what's close, to see what just affects me, to see what's there. While Jesus is concerned about reaching people, 
We're concerned about lunch. While Jesus is concerned about our community and our unchurched family members and unchurched friends, we're just concerned about what we're going to get fed on Sunday. What's for lunch, Pastor? And we gather in groups of 99 where if you really want to find Jesus, he's hanging out with the one. And so he's concerned about our communities, our family members, our unchurched co-workers and friends. Do you know the reason why you have that job? God didn't give you that job because you needed money. God doesn't need a job to meet your needs. But all of us have been strategically placed in our places of employment because somebody needed Jesus. Somebody needs healing. Somebody needs to hear the good news. That's why you're there. If God can send ravens to feed a prophet, if he can send manna to feed his children for 40 years, he doesn't need a job to feed you and to put food on your table. I know that that's the way it works in our society, but you've got to stop being nearsighted and see the far. You have been strategically placed in your place of employment to reach people for Jesus, to share your faith. That's why you're there. Why is this important? Because the Christian that does not share their faith is not growing in their faith. You're ineffective and you're unproductive, but that's not God's best for you. He has given you power and he has given you promises so that you can grow, so that you can be both effective and productive. We've got too many barren wombs in the church. God wants us to reproduce. God wants us to be effective. And it's, a, and it's today. It's now. It's this season. And Easter affords us a great opportunity to do that. Somebody who's not offended, go ahead and thank God for that. It's great to know that there's a place for you. But while Jesus is focusing on the town, you're just focusing on your next meal. There is a place for you, but there's also a place for your coworker, unchurched family member, unchurched friend and neighbor. And I want us to see this today. I want for us to allow Holy Spirit to do a vision test on us so that we can see more clearly. I want us to see clearly three things. We'll go through these, these quickly. But three things I want us to look at today. They're all found in John three sixteen. Remember, I'm sharing the why behind us sharing our faith. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Here's what we need to understand. Why do we share our faith? Number one, because every person, every man, Every woman, every boy, and every girl has value. They have value. It doesn't matter their skin color. It doesn't matter their background. It doesn't matter their past. It doesn't matter their education. It doesn't matter the economic status. It doesn't matter what side of the tracks they live in. Every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl has value. Why? Because God so loved that man, woman, boy, or girl that he gave his only begotten son for them. Value is determined by the price someone is willing to pay for something. That's good. That's good. 
I don't determine that value. You don't get to determine that value. Our government doesn't determine that value. People don't determine their own worth and value. God has already determined the value of every person, and he said that person is worth the, the best thing in heaven, my son. One of the shows I love to watch every now and then on PBS is Antiques Roadshow. I love it because almost every time you watch the show, somebody brings in grandma's heirloom that Junior uses as a football on the weekends. And they present it to the person and the auctioneer says, well, that thing is worth $5 million. And all of a sudden, that person's eye is open to the value of what they just saw as common. Their eyes are open and they take it home. And no longer is it Johnny's football on the weekends. It's hidden. They take insurance out on it. They put it in a place of honor, in a place of value. Why? She didn't see value in it before. But until someone who knew better said, do you know what you have here? This thing is worth X amount of dollars. And every now and then, God needs to step into a church and say, hey, look at the community around you. Look at the world around you. Look at the lost around you. Do you know? know what they're worth you see them as common you see them as problematic you see them as something that you can just overlook but you know do you know their value do you know their worth they're worth my son Jesus they're with Jesus and when a church gets excited and sees what God sees and love what God loves Watch out. You don't have to be worrying about when are we going to have two services, Pastor. We're going to be talking about how can we fit them in in three services. We need more room. We need to branch out. We need to set up another campus. Oh, my God, I don't know what's happening. It's because we see people as God sees them. The reason people have value, it's found in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says that God created man in his image. We learn in Genesis that God has stamped his image in every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl. And not one man, not one woman, not one boy or one girl is excluded from this. But every person is created in the image of God. Here's the problem. When you look at the world, not everyone acts as though or behaves as though they were made in the image of God. Rebellion against God has so distorted the image of God in humanity. But the amazing thing is, is despite all of that, God still values humanity. I can't understand it any better than you can. That God values me. That God valued a Juan Rivera senior who was an alcoholic, a drug addict, a deadbeat dad, and leaving his family for weeks at a time. I'm so glad that God didn't just wash his hands of that man over 40 years ago. I'm glad that God saw value. And I'm glad that people saw value too and says he may be an alcoholic, a drug addict, a deadbeat dad now, but I see value in this Juan Rivera Sr. Let's bring him to church with us. And that day, that Sunday morning, my daddy met Jesus and his life got completely transformed. And it's made the world a difference in my family because of value. The question is, Will I love what God loves? 
Or is my concern, what's for lunch? What are we eating today? One of the best stories that my children have shared with me have been moments where they've given their lunch away. My daughter coming home from school said, Dad, I'm hungry. Why are you hungry? Because there was a kid sitting next to me at the lunch table that didn't have a sandwich. I gave her mine. Do you know what that does to daddy's heart? Whatever you want to eat, girl. And we've got to be a church that learns how to give their lunch away. If you believe that Victory Christian Center is a place for you, you've got to understand that it's also a place for your. And we've got to be more concerned about the town than what we're going to eat and for lunch. And if this is true, it means no matter what, I'm valuable to God and He loves me. Whether, listen, whether I'm aware of it or not, He loves me. Whether I'm aware of it or not, He loves me. Whether I'm in Pakistan, whether I'm in Calcutta, India, whether I'm in Japan or Saudi Arabia or in El Salvador, whether I'm aware of it or not, God loves me. Whether I'm in Youngstown or Western Pennsylvania, Poland or Farrell or Trumbull County or Warren, whether I'm aware of it or not, no matter where I am, God loves me. The question is, will I open my eyes and see what God sees and love what God loves and give our lives, our time, our resources to that which God says is worth our son's life. Value is number one. Here's number two. Number two is capacity. Why do we share our faith? Because of capacity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, whosoever believes in him, If it's true that God values people enough to give His Son, then it must also be true that we have the capacity to receive that love. Now, I have the freedom to say no. But the miracle is that I have the ability to say yes. And while many will say no, many more will say yes. That if you were to understand that every person that you're connected with has value, but more than that, they have capacity to respond to the love of God. Why is capacity important? Because if we believe in the power of the gospel to transform lives, no matter what knucklehead uncle or hard cousin or crazy neighbor or far from God co-worker, every person, every man, every woman, every boy and girl has the capacity within them to say yes to God's love. If they see it. All of us have capacity. It's why you're here today. You had capacity. God valued you so much to let you alive, to be able to live in this moment, to be able to have a relationship with God. And all of us are here today because we have capacity. But you don't know how far gone they are, Pastor. 
You don't know how addicted they are. You don't know how broken they are. You don't know how lost they are. You don't know how perverse they are. I understand that. There's still someone of great value and great worth. I know God's image is marred in their life, but they still have the stamp of God. They're valuable to Jesus. They are valuable to God. They should be valuable to me. And guess what? They also have capacity to receive the love of God if given the opportunity. It's what drives those that give, go, and pray. Why are they going to El Salvador? They've not been promised X amount of salvation, but what they understand is that there is capacity in people to respond to the love of Jesus. Why are we challenging you these next two weeks to bring an unchurched family member, coworker, friend, and neighbor? It's because we believe they have capacity to respond to the love of Jesus Christ that they will encounter and experience in this room in two services on Easter Sunday. God will do it. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Well, then let just let God take care of them. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? You realize that you have been brought into this great partnership of the salvation of humanity in, in God's plan and program? Then God isn't sitting in heaven pressing numbers on a computer and buttons and say, today I'll save Julie and today I'll save Harry and today I'll save Susie and Sally and Billy and Bob. God is saying, today I want to wake up the church. Today I want to wake up Christian Bob and Christian Sue so that they can get engaged, open up their eyes and see the lost and say, hey, I've come. God sent me. Let me share with you a story, what my life used to be like without Jesus and what God has done in my life. He's calling us to be a part of the salvation of the world. Somebody give him praise and glory for just a moment. And we're at, we've, got to, we've got to bring things to a close. Number three, and lastly, not only do they have value, capacity, but number three, they have purpose. Purpose. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Every person that you're connected with as far from God has value, has capacity, but they also have purpose. They were created for a reason. They have purpose. They have purpose. And all of us, when we come into relationship with Jesus, we receive his power and his promises, and we begin to grow, and we begin to be effective and productive we begin to come alive to why we're on earth and what on earth we're supposed to do. And every person within the sphere of our influence has purpose. Every person. You might look at them and say, well, not this guy. I mean, they're just deadbeat. They're, they're just, I don't even know what they can do. There's a man named Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus was a bad man. He was someone that if you were to look at him, you would say he'd be the last person that God will ever save. Because he was going around persecuting the church, which is a fancy way of saying he was going around hunting down Christians, dragging them to be killed. 
bringing great damage to people that were followers of Jesus. And yet when God sees him as he's traveling to a town called Damascus, if we were to see him, we would be nearsighted. We would be concerned for our lives. But God sees 2020. He sees Saul of Tarsus, but he doesn't just see Saul of Tarsus. He sees purpose. And it's funny because God asked Saul a question. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I've always found that fascinating. I've always found it fascinating. And we've learned that whenever God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. But he's simply leading you on a journey of discovery because you don't know the answer. Asking Saul of Tarsus the question, why are you persecuting me is like asking a drug addict, why are you doing drugs? Or an alcoholic, why are you drinking? Or a man or woman stuck in a lifestyle of perversion, why are you doing this to your body? Our response typically is, because this is who I am. I've got a sickness. I've got a problem. And they identify with their struggle. When God doesn't identify you with what holds you captive, He identifies you by that which sets you free. He identifies you with why He created you. Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I could just see Saul saying, are you kidding me? Because that's who I am. I'm a terrorist of the early century church. But God looks beyond that. He sees value. He sees capacity in a terrorist. And he sees purpose. And he says, you've got to knock it off. All of us have value, capacity, purpose. There's some here today, you're far from God. It's a miracle that you're here. You don't even want to know why you showed up. But Holy Spirit was at work in your life, even if you didn't know it. Because you have value, sir. You have capacity, ma'am. And God is going to unveil the purpose of your life so that you don't have to walk around struggling and wondering and wounded and confused. But you can know exactly who you are, who your God is, and what he's put you on this, on this earth to accomplish. If you'll let him. If you'll give him an opportunity. And so here's my challenge to all of us. I want all of us to grab this invest card. All of us. Every follower of Jesus. I want you to put on your nearsighted glasses. Your spiritual glasses. The front of this card says, I will seek to invest in others who do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And invite them to church. Colossians 4, 5. Live wisely among those who are not Christians and make the most of every opportunity. We're going to turn it around. Where it has the numbers and the lines. The following are three people for whom I am investing my time in prayer and inviting to Easter service. Here's what we're going to do right now. Not later. Not this afternoon. Not tomorrow. But all of us are going to grab something to write with. If you don't have one, borrow one from a neighbor. If they don't have one, put it on your iPhone, your smartphone. We're all writing down three names. Who are the first three people that pop into your mind 
unchurched friend, family member, co-worker, neighbor. We're all doing this. Our staff is doing this. I'm doing this. And right now, we're going to take about 60 to 80 seconds to just write down the three people that come to our mind. Let's go ahead and do that right now. Write down their names. If you don't have three unchurched family members, friends, or co-workers, then you need to ask God to help you find some this week. You really do. But many of us have written down three names here. And, and here's why we're saying we're going to invest in prayer first. Here's why. Because we want to talk to God about the person before we talk to the person about God. I believe that for many of us, the three names that you've already written on your card, these are people that Holy Spirit is hovering over their lives and over their circumstances and over their darkness, getting ready to bring life. And in one moment, miracles will happen for these people. And so for the next two weeks, you're going to invest in prayer. You're going to pray for them daily by name. If you didn't write anyone down, do so at some point today. Maybe you can only think of one. That's fine. But by next week, you should have three names on here. And if you need help, ask God to help you. Ask a, another friend. Say, help, help me meet some people that are far from God. Your mailman. If you go out to eat today, maybe the server that's serving you, strike up a conversation. Don't be weird about it and leave a great tip. And then use the little invite cards and say, here you go. And bring them with you. Why? Because they have value. They have capacity. And they have purpose. And on Easter Sunday, we're believing God to see this room filled in two services with 2,500 plus people and we're believing God for 200 plus salvations. Many of those are your family member, your friend, your co-worker, your neighbor. Let's all stand to our feet. I want to invite our prayer team to come up this morning. Honey, would you join me on stage as well? no one looking around and except for those of you that have to get to a, to a, um, a post to serve in with everyone looking at me here's what we're going to do in just a moment my wife and I are going to bless you and then we're going to release you to come and receive prayer if you're here this morning and you're far from God 
we want to pray for you. You don't have to be embarrassed. You don't have to be backward about it because there's going to be a lot of people coming to receive prayer. We just want you to join them and tell somebody on this team, one of these leaders, and just tell them, say, I'm far from God and I want to have a relationship with them. Just say that to them. And they'll help you take your next step. If you're here today and you need prayer for any reason, any reason at all, we want to pray for you. You don't have to be a member of of Victory Christian Center to receive prayer. You don't have to be a bad person to receive prayer. We all need prayer. I need prayer. You need prayer. And so if you need prayer for any reason, we want to pray for you. So at the end of this blessing that my wife and I are going to do, her and I, we're going to sneak out this side over here. We're going to be in the lobby. If we've never met you before, we'd love to say hi. If it's been a long time that we've said hello, we'd love to say hi. But at the end of this blessing, you'll be released to come and receive prayer this morning. Keep your eyes open. We want to bless you, friends and family of Victory Christian Center. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and grant you peace. May God open our eyes to see our community, our neighborhoods, our cities, our family, our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers. And as our eyes are open, may we grow in our faith. May we be effective and productive. May we see value in people and capacity in people and purpose in people. See the gold hidden in the dirt of their lives and call it out. May God use you to not only bring people to hear the gospel, but as you go out, may you be sent to share the gospel. I stand with you in those names that you wrote. And as we pray on Tuesday, we'll believe for their salvation for their healing, for their freedom. We bless you as you leave here. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Come on, if you need prayer for any reason, we want you to come right now. Just come.